Everybody. Welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Jim Marty from Cherry Creek, Colorado, where I'm in a busy place right now, as you can probably hear. Larry, how are things up in Chicago? Well, a little bit quieter, Jim. Um, not too bad. The temperature here has kind of finally broke, so we're, everybody's living outside and enjoying that. Um, you know, it's a little bit crazy as always. We've got the tiebreakers that are going to be coming up for the uh, dispensary round. Uh, there are no winners. Everybody's in the tiebreaker round if they scored perfect on their application. I happen to have a client who made it into that round. We're very excited about it. They're one of the few small-owned uh, applicants that made it into that round. Um, and we'll see what happens. It's, uh, it's exciting times. They're going to pull names out of a hat, and we'll have a whole new group of dispensaries. Uh, hopefully, that will uh, work well in the state. We're still waiting on the craft uh, growth to be announced, and there's all sorts of rumors going on as to what's going to happen with that. So, I'll report back on that as uh, as things happen. But for right now, it's chaos as usual in Illinois. But let's switch out to you, Jim, for a minute, uh, because Colorado, which is where last week, were what, Sunday and Monday, it was 90 degrees. Tuesday and Wednesday, it was 20 degrees and you got snow. And then by the end of the week, it was sunny and bright and it all melted again. Yeah, it came and went pretty quick. Uh, we definitely had a cold snap and it hit 32 during the day on Tuesday. And where aren't we in a pretty crucial phase of the cultivation cycle right now for hemp and marijuana? Yeah, there were some articles in the paper that said uh, some of the outdoor crops were lost. But I spoke to some of my um, hemp clients and, uh, you know, those big six and eight foot tall hemp plants are pretty sturdy. And according to my client, they made it through the, the freeze, which was only about a, a 24 to 36 hour freeze. And then we were back up to 60s and 70s again. So the hemp plants did okay. The marijuana plants remain to be seen. Yes, that's what I hear. Okay. Well, we'll see about that. That's always interesting. And then just to, you know, to go to show that uh, uh, in addition to the freeze, of course, we've got the ongoing forest fires uh, up in the Northwest in, in the Oregon area. Um, and I know that there was a big, huge wall of fire that burned through Southern Oregon, Ashford and Talent and that whole area, which as I understand is a very uh, big uh, cultivation area for Oregon. And also, you know, the northern parts of California have been under fire. Uh, and, but even beyond this, the, the fire is, is the resulting smoke and ash. And um, uh, we've been hearing even talk about how when they come to uh, dump the pesticides uh, on the plant, the problem that they, uh, on the fire, the, the pesticides wind up also settling on the plants. And now you have a whole other problem that have to be tested when these plants are harvested uh, for a chemical that would not have otherwise expected to be there. Um, so you got to hope that a lot of these cultivators, you know, really have the wherewithal to be able to withstand uh, this kind of double punch from Mother Nature. Well, very good, Larry. Now, do we have a guest today? We do, Jim. And uh, our guest today um, is a, uh, for me at least, a very special guest, uh, a guy I've known uh, for probably close to 35 or 40 years, back to our University of Michigan days, um, a guy who I saw some of my earliest dead shows with and uh, have seen some of my more uh, 
what I would call memorable dead shows as well as non-dead experiences with him. Uh, his name is Alex Wellens um, of, of our uh, wonderful uh, uh, intern, Max Wellens. I shouldn't say intern. I should say our young uh, associate who's been working with us. And he is also married to Andy Greenberg, who was a guest on our show a while back, running her society, Jane, women-oriented cannabis business uh, in the Bay Area. Um, but we're here today really to talk music with Alex because, uh, you know, every group of friends, Jim, has one. And, and in our group of friends, Alex is the guy who kind of uh, is at the center of the music universe for us. And when there's a show coming out that we should all see, uh, I can usually rest assured that I'll be getting an email from Alex, even if it's a show in my part of the world and he can't be there. He'll say, hey, you know, have you heard so-and-so is going to be there? Go get tickets and go see this show. And the standing rule we have is that if Alex says to go to the show, you go to the show. Um, and, uh, you know, if you don't, you pay the consequences. And the best example that I can give over and over, even though she hates it, is when we were all in Jazz Fest about a year or so ago, uh, Alex had gotten tickets for one of the night shows, um, and it was Carl Denson's Tiny Universe uh, playing the Allman Brothers. And it was late after a long day of being outside and having dinner and everything else. And my wife and some of the other people in the group decided they were a little too tired and they were going to stay home. And I said, boy, I'm exhausted, but I got to go see Carl Denson. I know them. I heard them. They're great. But if Alex is saying is going, you're making a mistake. And I went to the show and it was the highlight of Jazz Fest week um, and went back home and uh, back to the hotel. And my wife just looked at me and said it was a good show, wasn't it? I said it was the highlight of the weekend. And she realized that uh, she had made the mistake. So uh, we, we, we typically pay attention to that and, uh, and follow what he says. Um, but Alex is a big deadhead. He's seen well over 200 shows. Um, and uh, we're happy to have him here today to share uh, some thoughts on the Grateful Dead, on jam bands altogether, and some innovations that he and some of his buddies tried to bring into the industry uh, very early on. Alex, welcome to our show, and thank you for being here with us today. Well, thanks, Larry and Jim. It's great to meet you, and I've been a follower of the show and really excited to join you guys today. I, uh, Larry and I have indeed had some great times together, along with all of our gang of friends and Certainly seeing the Grateful Dead has changed my life in a lot of positive ways, and I'm happy to share some stories and tell some tall tales, and let's just jump right into it. Well, I think that's a great idea. So just by way of background, uh, I know you're uh, from the Boston area and know that uh, your uh, early musical heroes were Aerosmith and Jay Giles, both very appropriate for a young boy growing up in the Boston world. Uh, so, you know, the real question is, how did you transition from that kind of music into the Grateful Dead? Well, I think it was going to the University of Michigan, meeting uh, a whole new gang of friends. Some were starting to get into the jam band scene. Some of my friends in high school were into it, but I really, I was ve veering towards the hard rock and, as you said, sort of the blue rhythm and blues-based Boston bands that eventually made it big, certainly Aerosmith, much bigger than Jay Giles, but had a lot of fun seeing music in high school. And then I think, like a lot of people, when you go to college, your eyes get opened in, in, in many ways. And I remember not just the jam band scene, but starting, starting to see concerts at the University of Michigan. One of my most memorable early concerts that really opened my eyes was Ray Charles at Hill Auditorium. And that really opened my eyes to a whole other world of music and just an incredible performer and how someone with an entirely different musical background that I'd ever heard before could really electrify an audience. And that 
thing, experiences like that really opened my eyes to the world of music and opening myself up to new possibilities. What I want to ask you about, Alex, and what I want to hear you talk about for a minute, because uh, uh, in the world of Grateful Dead, it wasn't just a question of, uh, you know, diving in early and often to the Grateful Dead, uh, but even way back in the day, uh, having the foresight and the wherewithal with a couple of our other buddies in the group uh, to come up with a product that was just maybe slightly ahead of its time. Um, and I'm uh, referring to uh, a software package uh, known as Song Tracker, uh, which I'll let Alex get into more detail on. Uh, but suffice it to say, if you're not old enough to remember three by five floppy disks, uh, then this probably wouldn't have worked for you. Because as far as I know, that's the only format it ever came out in. Um, what can you tell us about Song Tracker? How was it conceived? Uh, how far did it get to? And, and what happened at the end? Well, it was certainly something that was a lot of fun that a couple of my friends and our friends, Larry, put together. One of our friends was a tremendous programmer. And I became very interested in set lists and the pattern by which Grateful Dead shows were constructed. And back in the day, uh, as we all know, there was a bit of a formula to shows. And it was a very interesting um you know, the, the set list and how the shows were constructed was always very interesting to me. And uh, you do have to remember, as you said, back in back in the days that we're talking about, this was before the Internet, uh, where you could just go online and see every concert and videos from every concert. And this was, you know, the Grateful Dead, of course, the actual Grateful Dead ended in 1995 when Jerry passed away. And that was really the internet was still in its nascent state at that point. So when we wanted to know where the band was playing or what the set lists were, I'm sure a lot of the listeners remember there was an actually an 800 number that you had to pay to call the day after the show and somebody would read off the set list from the night before. And I would rem remember very vividly, they would read really slowly and you were actually getting charged for that call. It wasn't an 800 number, it was a paid number. And so you were actually getting charged to hear what the set lists were. And But you had to listen carefully because if you missed it, you had to call back in to catch this. So the people would be yelling at you like, shut up, I can't hear. But yeah, that's what we did. That's right. So this was this was a whole different world. And hopefully some of our listeners are our age and remember this. But so my friends and I put together a, a software package called Song Tracker, and we cobbled together every single Grateful Dead list. Some were available on very online uh, from online information sources. I literally sat in my apartment and typed hundreds of shows into a database that my friend uh created and we created a you know and now of course you can go on archive.net and uh, setlist.com and you can go back and quite easily see every single grateful dead setlist but that was not the case back in the you know back in the late 80s and early 90s so we created a software package i think we sold it for i don't know 30 bucks or something like that it was as larry said available on three and a quarter or five and a half inch floppy disks for those of you who remember those formats and it allowed you to uh, not only view all the shows and search them, but you could tag the shows that you attended. And, the, and then so you can see all the show, you could see all the shows you attended and print out 
you know, some rather rudimentary reports and song tracker doesn't really run anymore because I don't even think it would run on windows, or at least I'm not smart enough to figure that out, but it, it does show me, I, I, I do have my report from it and it does show that I, in a grand total saw 259 actual Grateful Dead shows and I have a little report that shows how many shows I saw by state. And of the 259 shows, it starts at the top with California, where I saw 184 shows. And then there were a number of uh, states where I saw one show, including Connecticut, Iowa, Indiana, Missouri, and Vermont. So it was it was a lot of fun. I used to actually print out the last few nights set lists and put a little area on one side of the page where you could write that night set list down. And I would walk around before the shows and hand them out to people and, uh, you know, try to sell some song trackers. And it was, you guys sent those to me and I was walking around shows in Chicago, handing those out as well. I remember those little, uh, those little handouts, but that was great. Cause back at that time, you guys were going head to head with dead base. Well, yeah, Dead Base, of course, was a book that was published and they would sell it every year. And, um, you know, that was a great resource. And the people who put it together did a, did a tremendous job. And we were trying to take it to the next level and really usher it into the computer era, which, again, back then was still quite young. I mean, the IBM PC came out in 1985 and still at 95 when the dead ended, it was, you know, the computer industry was still relatively young and the um, the internet was certainly in its very early stages. So we were trying to take it to the next level. And of course, you know, today you can just pull up anything easily, but it was a lot of fun. It made shows even a little more fun for, for me and my, me and our friends. And it, uh, allowed me to write off going to some dead shows, which wasn't the worst thing either. Yeah. It, yeah, it was, it was big. It, and now I guess they do have everything electronically organized. You can buy it and, and, and download it and all. But but the other thing, Alex, that you guys had on that was you had uh, a quiz. Grateful, it would ask you quiz questions about the Grateful Dead. Yep, there were some quiz functions. There were some report functions. It was, was really a lot of fun. I mean, it was still very basic. And I'm sure if anybody looked at it now, they would, th they would think a, uh, you know, a kid in grade school probably could have written it because things have come along so far in terms of programming and software and, and how amazing the user interfaces are but we did have a lot of fun with it there was a lot of uh, good information and you know looking back I, I do feel very fortunate that i at least have this list because we all remember a lot of great times it shows and yet it's i think very few people actually remember how many shows they went to much less have a you know those of us who saw more than you know a handful of shows have a hard time remembering uh, especially as the years get on here, what shows you went to. And now, of course, you can just go in and see the highlights from those and maybe even see videos from those shows. So it is a really nice reminder of what was certainly a very special time for us and our friends. And yeah, the great thing about The Dead was not just the shows and what they played, but try to explain it to people who don't really get it. And it's where else could you go where you know every word, not only know every word to every song, but you have anywhere from a few to, you know, we were very lucky to have 25 or 30 people that chose routinely of, of, you know, really our best friends. And that's just a very special thing that I think, you know, Fish and some of the other jam bands have recreated a little bit, but 
there truly was nothing like the actual Grateful Dead experience. I'm not sure I can list my top five favorite shows, but I did I did think about sort of five very memorable moments. And I think that's the other thing for us, for those of us who went to a lot of shows, it wasn't just, yes, some shows were better than others, some songs were better than others, some set lists were better than others, but there were moments that just really stood out. And I just thought about a few of them when I you guys invited me to be on the show and maybe I'll, I'll list a couple of them. And again, not, not my top five particularly, but five moments that really stood out. And maybe we can, uh, maybe we can have some fun with that. I'll start with the, the smallest venue I ever saw the Grateful Dead in was at University of Vermont. And Jim, you may know this if you're a New England guy, uh, they played at Patrick Fieldhouse. I believe they played there twice. I saw him there in 1983, and it was the basketball gym for UVM. And I say gym because it is really a gym. And I'm sure Larry in Chicago, many of the big high schools have gyms that are are you know nicer and bigger than this. This was a little under 4,000 people, and there were some other venues like the Berkeley Community Theater that were that small. But I'd say in the modern era, that was about as small as you ever you would ever see a dead show. And I just remember my college roommate Mike Block and I actually drove out from Ann Arbor, drove all night <laughs> through Canada, dropped down into Vermont and saw that show in 1983 and was just absolute when we walked in just absolutely stunned. We said sort of where's the rest of the arena because we just could not believe we were going to see the the Grateful Dead in such a tiny place. We're in the <laughs> second row and I'm quite sure that I did not leave my second row seat that whole time. I was just having too much fun and really stunned at what a tiny place it was. You guys have any particular small venues or, or, or great venues that, that stand out to you? My best small venue story was 86. And uh, the dead were going to come to St. Louis and play at the Fox Theater for the first time in almost 20 years. Um, I got tickets. I had second row center. They were going to play there for two nights. A bunch of people coming in. My parents were going to be out of town for five days. I mean, it was all just in the stars, all lined up and perfect. And then Jerry went into his diabetic coma and all those shows were canceled. So I kept one of the ticket stubs. But that's as close as I ever got to really seeing them in a very, very small venue. Yeah, it was a special, special thing. And, you know, speaking of just tremendous venues, and I really do think that there are some just power venues around the country and around the world where almost these are the kind of places like Red Rocks or the Gorge in Washington, where almost anything you see there is guaranteed to be amazing. Uh, one of the real standouts at the Greek theater here in uh, Berkeley, uh, I live in San Francisco, Berkeley, the Greek theater, a legendary venue where hosted a lot of incredible dead shows. They would usually do a three three day run every summer. Um, on Friday the 13th in 1984, uh, saw a very good show, it was a beautiful night at the Greek, and then they broke for the encore and took, they were taking a little more time than usual, and they put up a, it was some sort of um, anniversary of a, a moon landing or something big having to do with NASA, and they played Dark Star, which they hadn't played for three years, and you know, most people in the crowd had never seen. 
and they did a whole slot NASA slideshow and Phil Phil Lesh was wearing a NASA t-shirt and it was just one of those spine tingling uh, goosebumps kind of moment that anybody that was there will will never forget. I'm sure that's pretty amazing. Yeah. One of my uh, Alex Weldon's inspired moments, where did we see them at the Sweetwater Saloon in Mill Valley, the uh, uh, further, was it who we saw there? Yes. And that, how many, that's a bar. How many people does that place hold? That was like- 250. Yeah. And that's basically their home. Well, that's Bobby's home territory for sure, right there. Um, and uh, and I flew out there uh, with one of our other good buddies, Mike Miller, and, and we met up with Alex and his gang, and saw a couple of shows out. We saw two shows out of a four night run, and one of those nights I remember pretty much being one of the best shows I ever saw anywhere. Didn't they catch the uh, China Rider, uh, Scarlet Fire, and Help Slip Frank all in the same show? I believe that's right. And that, yeah, that Sweetwater. You know, we have. Very fortunate here. Uh, we have uh, Bob Weir and some other folks own the Sweetwater in Mill Valley in Marin. And of course, Phil Lesh owns Terrapin Crossroads uh, a little bit further up the road, also in Marin. And so those of us in the Bay Area are very lucky to be able to go to two Grateful Dead centric, uh, very small venues. You know, as Larry said, these are, you know, at the most 300 people. And, you know, in, the, in, in recent years, uh, we've been able to see some amazing tiny shows and, you know, what are literally, literally just bars. So that's, uh, that's, that's really special. A um, couple of other Grateful Dead-ish sort of top 10, top yeah. five highlights um, I thought about were, um, you know, a incredible, some guest appearances are obviously, you know, when you see a couple oh, yeah. of hundred shows, that always, when a, when a great guest comes out, that always really lights things up. And one I particularly remember was a show in Calaveras County in 1987, which was out up towards Yosemite, really in the middle of nowhere, beautiful venue outdoors. And yeah, it's probably five or 6,000 people, not, not huge. And Carlos Santana came out, which was a complete shock to everybody because he really didn't play. He didn't really come out all that much and, or, or play with the dead that much, even though he's a Bay Area guy. And uh, Carlos and Jerry did a just an epic guitar duel on all along the watchtower, which you know, I can still hear it in my mind. And again, you can look it up and find it online quickly. But that was truly one of the yeah, just one of the really special moments. And of course, uh, yeah, I, I would have to say that of all the special guests, the, the, the recurring get the top recurring guests, the guy that's probably played with them, uh, you know, as, as much as any other, you know, really true special guest would be Branford Marsalis. And I was lucky enough to see him, I think, play with the dead three or four times. And what really stood out about Branford was, I think most guests, when they come out with the dead, were relatively timid and would play along, but um, it took them a while to sort of step out front. And anybody that has heard the Branford recordings, and there's a legendary one from Nassau Coliseum, of course, and they, they, they put it out on many bootlegs and some of the official albums from the Grateful Dead. Branford, from the very first note, just became, just stepped forward and became, you know, led the band as much as anyone. And I think Jerry really appreciated being pushed. And I think when Bruce Hornsby was in the band, 
uh, towards you know to not quite at the end, but but the you know in the in the early '90s, I think Jerry really appreciated that too, where you just have a legendarily talented musician who really stepped in and pushed Jerry in ways that few other musicians did, and and I think anybody that caught a Branford show, or if you haven't, I strongly recommend you listen to him because it is it's it truly takes the band to another level. One more with the Grateful Dead that I thought about, and uh, this was one that uh, Larry, another one that you and I were at together, was um, in 1992, my, bachel my bachelor party at the Sam Boyd Silver Bowl in Las Vegas. And certainly um, any of those, those runs of shows in Vegas where they would typically, again, do three shows yes. at the what was the Las Vegas football, UNLV football stadium was uh were just tremendous and it was it was my bachelor party before i married my lovely wife and it was uh no question some of the most fun i've ever had in my life with with all my friends there and uh one particularly epic uh of the three nights they they closed the show with steve uh, steve miller band opened the show and uh they closed with baba o'reilly into the Beatles' legendarily psychedelic "Tomorrow Never Knows," and that was um, that was about about as good as it gets. And certainly, we were all in the right frame of mind to really appreciate that. That was a great weekend. Those were great shows. Uh, my youngest was not quite a year old, and my wife graciously let me go, and uh, we did make the most of it out there. Uh, and just to show you the vagaries of the Grateful Dead and what you may or may not hear. The high, although all three shows were great, and the show you referenced when Steve Miller came out and played a good chunk of the second set with them was great. I believe it was the second of the three nights uh, when out of nowhere uh, I found the Grateful Dead playing High Times, which is a beautiful song, and I love it. I just had never heard them play it live before. It was my 80th-something show, and I thought, boy, isn't this funny. Two months later, they were in Chicago. I went to see them with a buddy of mine who said, boy, I wish they'd play High Time, and they played it. And I'm like, you've seen on your first show, took me 80 shows. It's just the way it goes. Oh, wow, that's great. Just the way it goes. Uh, we were out uh, on another Alex-led expedition to Las Vegas in 2006 to see Vegas, um, which, you know, was a tremendous because it was kind of like seeing Lollapalooza, but, you know, for adults in Las Vegas. Uh, and we were all staying at the at the dunes. What? No, where were we staying? At the... Uh, the, palm, the Palms, I believe. Oh, yeah. And we came back after one of the nights and sat down at the casino. We were playing blackjack and the guys were playing and our wives were behind us talking. And it was just one of those nights for me. I'm not a very good poker player, but for some reason, or blackjack, the, the cards kept coming up right for me and I was winning. And about every five minutes, I'd take another $100 chip and turn around and hand it to my wife. And I figured, this is great. She's busy. I'm playing. And it was going just great until about 10 minutes later, she said, I'm getting tired. I think we need to go upstairs. Boom, busted, and that was the end of it. So, you know, it was great while it lasted, and uh, but but that was another uh, another great Las Vegas adventure, uh, musically related. So, absolutely. And well, I'll, I'll do a I will do Jim since you're from the Boston area. I will do a non Grateful Dead uh, top music memory, and this one, some of the couple of bands we talked about in 2010, uh, there was the ultimate. Boston show uh, of Jay Giles and Aerosmith at Fenway Park. 
And this was obviously the, you know, well past when Jay Giles was popular at all, but Aerosmith's still quite a huge band then. And so it was really the, it was kind of the wet dream for Boston music fans. And <laughs> the highlight of the show, and again, I highly recommend if, if, if you go on YouTube and check it out, was, um, was just a tremendous show, had so much fun. Everybody knew every word to every song, you know, Boston people just freaking out. And in the encore of Aerosmith set, uh, the, the whole place went dark and at the, they put the spotlights up on the top of the green monster and they had a white grand piano that they had hoisted. I don't know how they got it up there on the top of the green monster. Steven Tyler came out wearing a, like a spangly red sock shirt or something and played dream on solo piano on the top of the green monster and to say that people were losing their mind was uh, a massive understatement and my wife and i were there together having so much fun and the crowd just went absolutely nuts and he played the beginning solo on the piano then the band kicked in from still down on the stage and Absolutely, I encourage anybody to look it up. It was a one of those truly magical musical moments. And yeah, I want to thank you guys for having me on. You, I think this is great to bring out some some great music and talk about a lot of the things that that we love and we love doing and great memories. And it's uh, been been a lot of fun. So I appreciate you uh, you having me on, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us. The stories are great as always, and uh, for me, uh, it gets to bring back a couple of happy memories that uh, I don't sit down and think about often enough. And and at the end of the day, Jim, I'd say that you know that's probably the the same thing that you and I would say, and I'm sure Alex would join in as well. And he did even say this, but you know, the relationships and the moments that you share with your friends at these shows are the things that you really think about forever. And I can tell you, you know, a lot of my magical dead moments, but just as importantly, I can tell you who was right there by my side when they happened. And uh, you know, that's what really makes it great. So. To all of our listeners, uh, stay healthy, stay safe, uh, enjoy your marijuana responsibly, listen to good music, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network. Network.